Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to For the Love of the Game, episode 61. Let's rock. I told him I'd be back, man. Now everybody I'm back, the new kid off the block The same dude that'll knock you right out of your sock From your moms to your pops, the simple fact is I'm hot I had to turn it down just to keep from milking my wife See when I chill in the spot, I get love from the chicks They be like, damn K1, ain't no you spend it like this Look my proper like this, and I'm as fresh as it gets Who else you know to rock the mic and stack his pockets like this See I be copping the jeans so I can rock with them shoes You know it's by any means when y'all be rocking my tunes I be setting the mood, make them get out of their seat Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. It is your man's ATH back in the saddle. Episode 61 for the love of the game. What it do, baby, as Kawhi Leonard would say. Lots to catch up on. NBA season is kicked off this week, and thank God for NBA season actually playing meaningful games now. The greatest sport in all the land. There will be a lot of NBA talk in this episode. Uh, Lots to discuss, but before we do that, let's touch on a couple of things, uh, tie some things up, uh, catch up a little bit what's gone on the last two weeks. R.I.P. to the New York Yankees season. Two weeks ago on episode 60, I was riding high. I was super confident in their chances, and then they lost to the mighty Astros in six games. Uh, And game six was a major punch in the gut, with Aroldis Chapman giving off a walk-off two-run home run to Jose Altuve in the bottom of the ninth after getting the first two outs of the inning. This was after my guy, DJ LeMahieu, tied the game up in dramatic fashion with a two-run home run of his own. Chapman got beat on a slider, his second-best pitch. I don't know. I'm no baseball genius. But if you could throw 100 miles per hour, why don't you just try and do that? Getting beat on your secondary pitch, I mean, that just sucks. So now we have the Nationals and the Astros in the World Series. And much to my surprise and to the surprise of most, the Nationals have won the first two games in Houston against Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander and the mighty Astros who played great baseball against the Yankees are now on the ropes, uh, which is exceedingly shocking to most as for the Yankees. Well, I suspect some major changes are coming in the off season after a really, really good season that ended in heartbreak. But here's the thing. The Yankees have been super frugal, at least for their standards, the last few years. They have lacked pitching depth, and that was exposed in the playoffs. Yes, not having Domingo Herman with his legal issues hurt, but still. They had their chances at Corbin, Marcus Stroman, and they didn't do anything about it. I don't want to see another damn bullpen game in an important playoff game. Stop being cheap and get another pitcher who can pitch in the, pl- in the playoffs. No more of this BS nonsense starting a bullpen game. You're the New York Yankees. You're the richest team in all of professional sports. Act like it. This is insanity. Get Garrett Cole and be done with it. And now I saw a little scuttlebutt on Twitter that Yankees brass are saying, no, the, the pitching wasn't the issue. The pitching wasn't the issue. Um, 
yeah, not getting a big hit in the, um, you know, with uh, runners in scoring position, two outs. That was a bit of an issue. But don't tell me the pitching wasn't an issue. Go get yourself a starter. Don't be cheap. Enough with the uh, doing the same thing over and over again and thinking that it's going to be any different. Anyway, let's see what happens the offseason. Who knows? Maybe they'll surprise me. Uh, And what happens the rest of the way in the World Series? On to the NFL. Well, both New York teams really stink. Pat Shermer, the coach of the Giants, is a schmuck. Daniel Jones has hit a major rough patch, as most rookies do. He's showed some signs, but still hasn't looked good recently. Uh, It's not a good look right now in Giants land. As for the Jets, well... They're just flat-out pitiful. I mean, that loss to the Patriots uh, where Sam Darnold just looked absolutely horrific. And, yeah, the Patriots' defense is great, but, my God, was that was that really bad? The Jets have no directional, well, probably won't be good forever, which is the most Jets thing of all time. As for the NFL at large, well, there's really only one good team in the league this year, and that's the New England Patriots. And then there's the rest of the league. And... My pick five against the spread has been absolutely crap so far. Another two and three week last week, a brutal loss with the 49ers not covering 10. I mean, they pitched a shutout and kicked three field goals to win nine nothing. You're telling me they couldn't cover the 10 points? That was a joke. The Giants, who are one of my favorite bets, just were absolutely disgusting at home, a disgusting display. So now I sit at 17 and 18 on the year. Not good. Uh, And I desperately need a rebound. So the rebound starts here, hopefully. And the terrible slate of games Sunday that I have absolutely no desire to watch. But here we go. Weeks 8, pick 5 against the spread. At 1, I've got the Colts. Minus 5.5 at home against Denver. The Colts, who I didn't back last week. The Texans, uh, I thought they were going to cover the 1. The Colts have been really impressive. They, they just win. It's a very complete team. I mean, they haven't really missed a beat, even though Andrew Luck retired. And the Denver Broncos are flat-out terrible. I, I've had to, unfortunately, start Joe Flacco in a fantasy league once or twice, and it's just soul-crushing. They can't score. Denver stinks. Colts minus 5.5 at home. Number two, Miami, uh, plus 14 on the road against Pittsburgh. Miami's terrible. But they've had a little bit of fight in them recently. I mean, they just put up 21 points against the vaunted Bills defense, who hasn't given up more than 17 all year. And Pittsburgh is on a third-string quarterback. And they are not good enough to be favored by 14. Take the points and don't watch a second of this Monday night game. Do yourself a favor because it will probably be dreadful. Number three, the Bills, who I just mentioned, minus one and a half at home against Philadelphia. Now, what am I missing with this Philly line? How is this not at least a three-point game? The Bills are at home. Like, are they saying on a neutral field that Philadelphia is better than the Bills? I don't see that at all. Philadelphia's defense stinks. Their wide receiver core right now, Alshon Jeffries banged up. He can't move. Nelson Aguilar kind of sucks. Deshaun Jackson is out. I just don't understand this line whatsoever. Bills minus one and a half. Uh, This is my favorite bet of the week. At four, Rams minus 13 and a half at home against the Bengals. Uh, The Cincinnati Bengals are probably the worst team in the league. Yeah, they're worse than Miami. The Rams, they need these uh, stretch of games to kind of get themselves going. I suspect they keep it rolling after putting a beat down on the, the Falcons. 
Uh, I love the Rams here. And at five, the Panthers plus five and a half in San Francisco. I know San Francisco's still undefeated. I get it. I think this is the week where the Niners come back down to earth. I think Carolina really competes. I like the way they compete. They're 3-0 on the road so far. I just don't trust this San Francisco team just yet. Yeah, I'm back in the Carolina Panthers with my fifth pick overall in terms of the pick five. On to the NBA, as I mentioned, the greatest league and sport in all the land, at least when it comes to the product on the court. It's been two nights, and there's already so much to talk about, whether it's the Lakers and their issues, the fact that their roster as a whole kind of stinks, LeBron looks like he's legit getting old, or the Nets celebrating a 50-piece by Kyrie Irving, which had amazing highlights, but they lost at home uh, to a bad team, and they're celebrating like the Nets have won an NBA championship. God, I'm so lukewarm on the Nets this year. I legit don't think they're going to be much better than last year. I mean, they won 42 games last year. They played really good ball. I I don't see them being much more than that. Oh, and the Clippers uh, against the Lakers looks like absolute monsters with an incredibly deep roster, and that was even without Paul George. The 76ers look extremely interesting. Zion Williamson's hurt, and that is a major bummer. So much to talk about already, and tonight's TNT slate is an absolutely great slate, starting with Houston and Milwaukee at 8 o'clock, followed by the Clippers and the Warriors. So much good stuff. But before we get into all the fun stuff that the NBA has to offer, uh, which will include uh, a breakdown of the Eastern Conference, award predictions and such, I have to follow up on the biggest story um, regarding the NBA, the China situation, and what transpired in the last two weeks since Episode 60 dropped. So Steve Kerr, after initially saying he didn't know enough about the story to comment, comes back and still kind of deflects the issue. Instead gets on his soapbox about the issues uh, facing our country in the United States of America. Take a listen here. We're discussing it. Um, no. Nor has uh, our record of um, human rights abuses come up either. People in China didn't ask me about... Uh, you know, people owning AR-15s and mowing each other down in a mall. I wasn't asked that question. The world is a complex place, and there's more gray than black and white. Uh-huh. Like, really, bro? Really? You're going to put our democracy in the same breath as an authoritative government because you're a raging liberal who hates our current president? You're going to use the example of a few crazy people shooting up a school or a Walmart, which are terrible atrocities, and you're going to compare us with China? What an asshole. Hey, Steve Kerr, you have the freedom to criticize our president without the fear of consequence or the fear of getting taken out by the government because we're a democracy. Don't ever compare our problems, which we have, you know, we definitely have our own issues, to China, you ungrateful asshole. Okay, so the NBA plays its preseason games in China, which included the Lakers and the Nets playing there. Story dies down a bit. It comes out that China asked the NBA to fire Daryl Morey over the tweet, which was crazy. The NBA obviously does not do so. But then the other major social justice warrior, someone who's never looked or sounded comfortable in front of a microphone, None other than LeBron James gets asked the question about China, and here is what he had to say. A word word or sentence uh, feud with Daryl, 
um, but Daryl uh, Morey, but I believe he wasn't educated on, on, on the situation at hand. And, um, and he spoke. And uh, so many people uh, could have been harmed, um, not only financially, but physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, so just be careful what we, what we tweet and we say and what we do, even though, yes, we do have freedom of speech, but there can be um, a lot of negative that comes with that, too. Wow. Just wow. If Steve Kerr sounded like an asshole, LeBron went above him to see who could sound like the bigger asshole. So many layers to this. And before we break it down, uh, because I'm a consumer of basketball content, uh, I listen to many basketball podcasts, not just to prepare for my own, because I, I, I generally love the sport and love to hear what other guys have to say, insiders. So to all the ESPN guys talking hoops who didn't kill LeBron for this statement, which he had plenty of time, plenty of time to craft because you knew he was going to be asked because he was over there and said, well, maybe he was saying that Daryl didn't know what it would be like for the players who were there. Or, which by the way is valid, but that's not what he said. Or, don't use LeBron's lack of education when comparing him to Daryl to nullify what LeBron's public stances are. And guys like Zach Lowe, who I love listening to and respect a tremendous amount, actually said this on their shows. Well, guess what, guys from ESPN? Get LeBron's dick out of your mouth. The fact that an ESPN personality can't criticize LeBron because of its relationship with the NBA and LeBron being the biggest player in the sport is absolutely laughable. So because they won't criticize him, I have no problems doing so. So allow me to shit on LeBron James, which is something I love to do. But right now, it's like really warranted. To anybody who's comparing LeBron James to Muhammad Ali in being this generation's Muhammad Ali in terms of taking a stand for what he believes in. Kick rocks. LeBron James has nothing to lose. Whenever he says something, there are no consequences to it. Muhammad Ali went to jail for what he believed in. LeBron James has no threat to going to jail. And when he decides to take a stand, when he has no problems doing so in NBA games on domestic issues, you know, he wore a t-shirt that says more than an athlete. He was the famous guy who coined the term, not just going to shut up and dribble. He sent out the tweet that says, and here's the kicker. The tweet says, injustice everywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Quoting Martin Luther King. But when talking about injustices somewhere else, because it will affect his business interests, whether it's the NBA or his Space Jam movie that's going to be huge in China, right? Huge market. All of a sudden, Daryl Morey, the guy who's dealt with China before because he was the general manager of the Houston Rockets when Yao Ming was playing, like he's dealt with them. The guy who graduated MIT, all of a sudden that guy is not educated enough on the situation to comment? Really, dude? That guy's not educated enough on the situation to comment, but you are? Get out of my face, LeBron James. And so all you LeBron James stands who think he can do no wrong, like, you guys are the worst, too. LeBron James has always been about one person and one person only. And that's LeBron James. And I'm not saying that he hasn't done good for his community because he has. The school that he opened up is a great school. He's 
generally a good family man. I'm not saying he doesn't have his own merits. But the guy is a selfish prick, a narcissist, and only cares about himself. And to paint him as this generation's beacon for justice, like he's like John Carlos or Muhammad Ali, who stood for something, is a total crock of shit. It's a total crock of shit. You just heard it right now. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that there are still people who think that he's not out for himself. And guess what? He's allowed to be out for himself. He's allowed to protect his own business interests. I'm not killing him for that. I'm killing him for being a hypocrite and a douchebag about it. You know, you can criticize the current administration all you want, and that's fine because we do believe in freedom of speech. But then when all of a sudden... It affects you, somebody who spoke, that may affect your bottom line. He was misinformed. Had LeBron James just said, I don't think Daryl took into equation what it would be like for us who are over there during the situation, I can respect that. That's completely fair. But when he said, quote, that he was misinformed and that it's going to hurt us financially and, and spiritually and physically, like... Enough with you, dude. He's always been uncomfortable in front of a microphone, and it's embarrassing that he had all this time to craft a statement, and that's what he came up with. Like, you have a PR team, dude. Why don't you pay them to do something, you know, and not make you look like such an asshole? But you didn't do that, and you, and you went according to your own plan, which is fine because no one can tell LeBron James anything because his ego is too big, but that's fine. I, I understand that. So I, I will I will do so. It's just <clears throat> excuse me. It's just unbelievable lack of self-awareness from him, which I, I shouldn't be shocked at because everything he's done over his career since 2010 has indicated to that to be the case. But he finds new ways to stub his toe. And then finally, finally, he's finally getting some blowback for something that I knew all along. And I, I just find it great. And the jokes on Twitter, like Mao Zebron, you know, calling him that, they're just great. Like the Barstool t-shirt um, with uh, Chairman LeBron is just fantastic. I, I, I can't get enough of the LeBron James hate. And before it was for all the other reasons. And now we have a more valid reason to hate this guy. And I just can't get enough Feed me the LeBron James hate. I hope for the demise of the Lakers. I hope for the demise of his career. And I've just had enough of him. And anybody who constantly, blindly defends this guy, well, you suck too. On that note, now that I got that rant off my chest, we're here to talk about all the fun things in the NBA coming up, as I alluded to before, with what with probably my favorite recurring guest, an extremely versatile recurring guest in just a moment. All right, I am bringing on my uh, favorite recurring guest, uh, as I'm sure you can understand why he's my favorite recurring guest, uh, somebody who's showing off his tremendous versatility. He's normally my tennis expert, but uh, roped him in late last minute to talk a little NBA. Uh, it's my brother, Josh. Yoshi, what's going on? All is good. Always welcome to on the podcast spread all the knowledge that I got well we're uh, we're looking forward to uh, the little change of pace you, you've now been uh, 
dubbed an NBA guy, considering you you play uh, fantasy basketball, you watch uh, you watch all the games. So I, I think you you're definitely qualified to talk on the on the topics. Uh, so uh, let's jump right in. I mean, uh, the NBA season obviously has kicked off uh, this week. I wanted to focus on uh, the Eastern Conference mainly because uh, in episode 60, uh, we did the Western Conference. But I, I wanted to talk about the uh, the Lakers-Clippers game that was uh, Tuesday night. Um, very much hyped. I mean, the new-look Lakers with Anthony Davis, the Clippers after all their offseason with Kawhi. Obviously, Paul George wasn't there. And the Clippers I mean, won by... Double digits. They won by ten points, but it didn't even seem that close. Uh, what was your takeaway from this game? Um, I think I don't think the Lakers would have panicked that much. Uh, honestly, they were one run away from making it a close game. Um, it was really a game of runs. I mean, the Clippers continuously. I guess whenever the Lakers made a run, the Clippers answered um, it by extending uh, the lead. So I think the game was a little closer than it was in terms of the score-wise, but the Clippers definitely um, had a little bit more continuity together, and um, that should be expected. They really only added, at this point, to the roster, because Paul George is injured, they only added Kawhi Leonard, um, whereas the Lakers pretty much had a full (laughs) roster overhaul. Um, So I think it was a little tough for the Lakers to adjust, and definitely missing Kyle Kuzma is a big part uh, is a big reason uh, for them. They definitely do need another third scorer. Danny Green is not going to be putting up the numbers that he did uh, the other night. So I think a lot of what you said are, uh, I should say, is is extremely valid um, given the, the roster overhaul. But a couple of things. See, I went the other. I'll go the other way. Minus that 12-0 run. I really think that the Clippers had this game in hand, and it wasn't really that close. And to me, uh, a couple of things. One, um, the Clippers roster is absolutely stacked. I mean, they're incredibly deep with guys like Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell coming off the bench, leading the team in minutes and, and, and putting up numbers. I mean, you have Pat Beverly... Mo Harkless, Jermichael Green, like all these other guys. And then you have Kawhi Leonard, who's probably right now the first or second best player in the league. And that and this was without Paul George. I mean, this Clippers team is an absolute monster. That was the first thing I noticed. The the second thing I noticed was that the Lakers, as you just said, mentioned, you know, they need another score. But more importantly, they they need like a playmaker who can get his own shot. I mean, they need like a Lou Williams type or a Jamal Crawford in his prime type because I I just I don't see how they're going to score enough points, especially if they're going to have to stagger minutes with LeBron and Davis because they were going to post-ups like crazy. And I don't think, you know, posting up Anthony Davis that many times is really going to be a formula for success. I mean, Davis is a monster. Um, and he played really well, especially in the post. But they want to get somebody who can create him on like some pick and rolls. And it can't just be LeBron being the one who's going to get him pick and roll touches. So that was the other thing. And the third thing, and maybe the most alarming thing for the Lakers, is LeBron looked old. Like he looked old. And, and maybe it was rust, but he really looked old. And in this game, he was clearly the third best player on the court. 
And that's the first time we can ever really say that about LeBron James in 17 years. And that's alarming for the Lakers. So I think the biggest problem that you brought up is the lack of scoring for the Lakers, as well as I don't think they're that great defensively. I think um, what's going to hurt them this year is figuring out which is their best lineup and which lineup can close a game. Because do they go big with LeBron at the three and they put either Rondo, Green, Kuzma, LeBron, and Anthony Davis to try and get scoring? Or do they go some other combination where it's McGee at the five, Davis at the four, LeBron, Kuzma, and Green, something like that? And if they went to the big lineup, there's just a lack of score shooting. There's a lack of floor spacing, which I don't think that they will be really able to score much. But if they go for the uh, smaller lineup, they're not going to be able to guard anyone. I think ultimately that's going to be their biggest problem, figuring out which lineup is going to be able to um, play against all of these other teams who have so many different lineups that they can throw at you and all of these athletic guys who they can still throw at you. Um, so I think that's going to be a big problem for them. But the LeBron issue, I think it was probably just Russ. And at this point, we have to just assume it was Russ because I think this is the 17th year and he continues to amaze everyone. So until he can put together a 10-game stretch where we think that he's completely lost it, I think we got to give him the benefit of the doubt that he still does have it. Um, I think last night he showed a little bit more on the defensive end than uh, to be expected, and maybe that took away from him. Well, that was just—it was um, just one chase down block. I mean, but I I hear what you're saying. Beforehand, beforehand he's been terrible on the defensive end. Last night he wasn't absolutely awful. Um, So I can't really—I think need to see a couple more games, maybe into game ten, if he's actually rusty or is he old. yeah, and a, a lot of what you said is valid. Um, I mean, obviously, we should be giving LeBron the benefit of the doubt, but there's, but I'm sorry. Like, he should, showed it last year. He's in a different phase of his career. He's not a top five, top six NBA player anymore. Like, he's just not. And the Lakers box themselves into a corner with this Davis situation because he's a, uh, an impending free agent. They traded a lot to get him, which they, which is, is, normal and they're going to try and make him happy and and feature him but he wants to play the four and they surrounded him with like JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard because he wants to play the four and and the Lakers best lineup is with him playing the five and LeBron playing the four but then like what is Kuzma because Kuzma is basically like a three four combo also it's just and and they're capped out and they have no draft picks so like even if they wanted to swing a trade and Kuzma's their best tradable asset, he makes no money where it's like it's hard to match salaries to get a guy who's going to really impact their team. And then, like, they played KCP 20 minutes, and he didn't score. Like, like that's who they're going to. Like, I just don't see – and, yeah, the Clippers are really, really good, and, they, and they're projected to be one of the th- – two or three best teams in the league and and a title contender. So maybe the Clippers just made them look worse than they actually are. And it'll take them time to gel, and that's fine, and I buy that. But, like, they're not a finals contender, the Lakers. They're a five or a six seed in my mind. I mean, I agree. I don't see them doing that being that scary, uh, honestly. I think at this point in LeBron's career, since he's not such a great outside shooter and he's not a floor spacer in any way, 
Um, pairing him with Anthony Davis, either the logical thing is LeBron's just going to have to go down low and be a post-up player and completely change his game, which I don't think that's going to be happening. I don't think he's ever developed the skills to be able to transition into that. And if he did develop those skills, he makes Anthony Davis not be able to do what Anthony Davis does. Uh, so I think just the entire team together as a whole is a flawed team. And it's going to be tough if Anthony Davis does leave. They're in a terrible position if he ends up leaving. Um, oh, I mean, that's doomsday. I mean, at that point, you, you, you cancel the Lakers. Yeah, but, I mean, if I'm Anthony Davis uh, and I see a lot of up-and-coming teams and LeBron at 17 um, seasons, then he's going to go into his 18th season next year. I don't see LeBron taking a pay cut to make sure that they get um, all, or at least a big enough pay cut to make sure that they get all of these guys to be able to surround them with anything. And if Anthony Davis doesn't win in the next two two years or so, he's starting to get a little bit older as well. So it's a tough decision for him. And I think because the Lakers team this year, how they're constructed, it's not going to be good for him until they figure out what their optimal lineup is and where they go from. Uh, then um, I think uh, the Danny Green signing for them was an amazing signing because he's going to create floor space and he is a plus defender. Yeah. Um, but besides for that, they don't really have shooting anywhere. Um, KCP can't hit a shot. When you put Rondo in, he's not a good shooter. You have Avery Bradley, he can't do anything. Um, Kuzma isn't the greatest catch and shoot player. Um, so it's going to be a very tough, I think, tough time for the Lakers, especially when they go up against lanky, lanky teams who are able to defend. And not just that, teams with really good point guards, which there are a lot of. I mean, I, I, we've mentioned this before on the podcast multiple times, but like guys like, you know, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, like who on the Lakers is guarding them? The fact that you brought up the doomsday scenario about the Anthony Davis possibly leaving is just me- music to my ears. It just makes me so happy. I-, I mean, I love to see the demise of LeBron as much as you. But, yeah, it's going to be really interesting with the Lakers. I, I think they'll they'll look better. They'll get more continuity. It, it-, it won't be as ugly as it was um, as it was Tuesday night, but I, I don't see them as a finals contender, and I, I agree with you on a lot of the other stuff. So now moving on to the East, um, the Philadelphia 76ers. So they had a busy offseason. Uh, the sign-and-trade, Jimmy Butler went to Miami. They brought back Josh Richardson um, and a couple other pieces. They signed Al Horford. Uh, it was pretty clear to me, I mean, that Philadelphia – was one of the best teams in the league last year. I think they're going to be one of the best teams in the league last year. I mean this year. But Jimmy Butler did a lot for them down the stretch of games, especially in the playoffs on offense. Um, But somehow, even though I don't love the Horford and Bede pairing, considering where the NBA is going, I kind of like them even better this year. You know, and I, I really think that they can make the finals, and maybe that's because Kawhi Leonard is no longer in their way, and it's just really Giannis. I mean, what, what's your take on Philly? So my take on Philly, I, I really like Philly. Um, I think their starting five is whether, I mean, Horford is a little past his prime, a little slower. I still think he is a, for his position, he's a pretty good defender. I think what they're going to get into trouble with is potentially depth. They, like last year, they didn't have much depth. 
and this year they don't have much depth. But I think their pieces this year, um, they have their starting five that could be the best starting five in the league. They have a very, um, they have a lot of guys who can shoot with Tobias Harris, um, three-point shooting, Josh Richardson's three-point shooting. Um, you don't want to, I mean, even Horford can step out and shoot the three at a pretty solid uh, clip, especially for someone who's a big, um, and it kind of at least helps with uh, alleviate some of the Ben Simmons' lack of shooting. So I think on offense, they're a very versatile team, as well as on the defensive end. They're, very, they're going to be a very good uh, defensive team as well. I think where they might come into trouble is lack of depth, as well as, like you said, Jimmy Butler was their go-to scorer at the end of, the ga- at the end of games. This year, who is going to be that guy? Who is going to say, we need a bucket, I'm going out getting this bucket. Can it be Joel Embiid, which I think they're hoping that it can be him, but uh, I think lack of effort sometimes has been something that people have accused him of, lack of wanting to be in that big moment. Um, but I think they would love for him to be that guy and step up. And Or if it's Simmons who can somehow show us that he has a little bit better offensive game than he did last year. So a couple of things uh, on what you said. Uh, I'm not sure I agree on the depth issue. I think they are lacking shooting depth. But in terms of guys who can play, like they can do a couple of different things in terms of spacing out Embiid and Horford's minutes. Like they drafted that guy, uh, Thibel, who's like an all-world defender who, uh, you know, maybe develops a little bit of an offensive game, but you know you can play him in a playoff series. They've got that their, that other young guy, Zaire Smith, maybe he develops into something. I mean, they, they've got some dudes, and they can do different things um, with their lineups, and, the, and they're exceedingly flexible. Uh, and one of the biggest things for them was, you know, Horford gave them a tremendous amount of problems on defense when they played Boston. Like, Boston was a bugaboo for them last year. And now Horford has joined, so that's good. But but you you mentioned something interesting about the crunch time scoring, and it's got to be Embiid because there are times where Embiid looks like the fifth best player in the league, or you know one of the three most talented players in the league. Where you're just like, holy moly, this guy is unstoppable. And the conditioning was an issue, and he looks like you know he he had the the Instagram offseason where it looks like he got shredded and uh, shed some weight and looks like he can be an absolute monster. But it comes down to Ben Simmons because, you know, and we saw it last year. The playoffs bogged down. You know, things get tight. Do you just put Simmons in the dunker spot because he can't shoot and he isn't willing to shoot? And that clogs the lane for Embiid. And that's going to be the big issue. And even with all that said, the more I think about it, the more I'm leaning towards them go, going to the finals. I mean, I think they're the best team in the East uh, as well. I think they're the most balanced team. I think um, that team playing at their best can play great defense. Um, Simmons is a good defender. Uh, Harvard's a good defender. Simmons is a good defender when he wants to be, which hopefully he'll want to do that more often. So I guess when he wants to be, he's not just an above-average defender. He's a very good defender when he wants to be. And Bede, the same thing. When he wants to be, he could be a great defender. Um, Josh Richardson, known to be a very good defender as well. And Horford. I think Horford could be 
a great influence on Embiid and get him to the ceiling where he needs to be. Horford has been known to be a great veteran, and him in that locker room, that presence, I don't think the 76ers have necessarily ever had that. Yes, they had, um, what's his name, last year, Butler, Jimmy Butler. But it's but a different style. It's definitely a different style, and this having a big man being the person um, kind of influencing Embiid, who I th- I agree with you, is going to be the guy who I think can take them to the next level. I think that is a good thing uh, for Embiid. Yeah, I mean, they're just so long. I mean, Josh Richardson's their smallest defender at 6'5", and this guy Thibel is going to play big minutes for them. I mean, you, you saw it in the opening round, opening game against the Celtics. I mean, he was everywhere. He made a couple of steals that were just awesome plays. Like, they're, they're going to be really, really good. Um, so I think in the Eastern Conference, it it's very top-heavy in terms of the— it's pretty clear who the two best teams are. You have Philly and Milwaukee. And Milwaukee, we're going to—you have a take on Milwaukee in a second. We'll, we'll get to that in, in just a minute. But who would be your number three seed uh, if the playoffs started today, if you had to guess? I had to guess, um, I think I would go, I guess, either with two teams, um, either with potentially the Pacers, given if Oladipo can come back healthy and they can withstand him coming back healthy. But I think uh, the real team who I think is going to be a big threat in the East are going to be the Bulls, going to be not the Bulls this year. They're not very good, but is going to be the Miami Heat. Ah, okay. We're getting somewhere here. I think... I think the Miami, they, they're going to play hard on defense, and they have great defense. Jimmy Butler, Justice Winslow, Bam Adebayo, uh, that's going to be a tough team to score on. Um, are they going to score enough points? That would be the question. So I'm with you on the Miami Heat. I'm actually going the other way with the Pacers. I mean, if Oladipo misses a significant amount of time, I actually think the Pacers are a bottom-tier uh, playoff team. I just don't think they're going to be able to score enough. Um, and I and if Oladipo is out really long time, I wouldn't be surprised if they miss the playoffs. But um, I guess my assumption is going on that he's going that to he's going to play the end of, of November. If that if that's the case, I mean, then then they're going to be in the mix. But I think the Miami Heat are going to be the three seed. I love what Jimmy Butler brings them. Um, I've always been a Jimmy Butler guy. Uh, I think he took a lot of crap last year. And yeah, Jimmy Butler's brought a lot of this crap and noise about him on himself with the way he's acted, in, especially in Minnesota, and a little bit more so uh, at the end of his Chicago tenure and slightly with the Sixers. But Jimmy Butler is perfect for that team. And Justice Winslow running the point. And if Dragic is healthy off the bench, and Tyler Hero is going to be a Rookie of the Year candidate. Uh, Bam Adebayo, I like. They got rid of Hassan Whiteside, who I thought was a cancer. It's a gritty team. It's a hard-nosed team that's going to be good defensively. They're going to be well-coached. I really like the Miami Heat. And their season win total over-under was 43.5. And And you know me. I love myself some some future over-unders. That was my favorite bet by far, betting their over, because I think they could win close to 50 games. I'd agree with that. I would agree with them being the three seed. Um, I think even, I mean, all the guys you mentioned, I think there's a lot of room for even Myers Leonard to uh, kind of step up. 
we saw Myers Leonard at some points in the playoffs last year play out of his mind. Um, he can space the floor hitting threes. He's also an athletic big um, who's going to rebound and play defense and bring the energy on a nightly basis. So I think uh, even with all the guys you mentioned, he's a guy who I think can be a difference maker for that team and be a big help for them uh, as well if he's able to kind of progress with his game. He was a pretty early round um, guy in the first round. And yeah, I he think was a lottery he didn't, pick. He didn't necessarily see that much time on Portland because of they kind of had a log jam at the center position. And I think with him growing, him taking a leap um, in his um, kind of career, I think could be a extra for them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of minutes he gets because they got Kelly Olynyk, who's kind of like that stretch big also. That'll, that'll be interesting, but I, I really like the Heat. Um, the Celtics may be in the mix, but I, I just like the Heat a little bit more than the Celtics. I think the Celtics are going to have some things to figure out, but I, I do like the Celtics as like a four seed. Uh, so uh, pick one team in the East that like you don't understand why you're get why they're getting that much buzz. Like who for you is like the team that – getting a lot of pub and you just don't see it. I the Milwaukee Bucks. Interesting. I, okay. Milwaukee Bucks on paper they have Giannis and if you take Giannis off that team they're not that great. I still think they get the two seed because he's just so good <laughs> and no other team kind of has something like like him especially in the east. I mean we just named a team who might be the <laughs> third place in the East and their best player is Jimmy Butler. Not even in the same category as Giannis. So I think obviously Giannis is that step above everyone else, but the team I think is going to take a small hit. I don't think that Brook Lopez is going to be as good as he was last year. I mean, he had a year where he just didn't miss from three. I don't think that that's going to happen. And I think losing Brogdon is going to be hard for them as well. Brogdon was a great defender. He was able to do everything. He was able to shoot defense, and that's going to be something that with losing him, they're going to have to play some of their older players more minutes. Um, George Hill was great for them, but in a limited role. Now he's going to have to play a much bigger role. Yeah, and they don't have that Eric Bledsoe insurance right now because they gave Bledsoe that contract somewhat early. And that may have cost them Malcolm Brogdon. And that may come back to bite them in the ass. Because as we all know, this season is really, really, really important for the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Because Giannis is a free agent in two years. And we've seen this before. Small market team, the lovable superstar. And then all of a sudden, it changes quick. Like you think he's going to be there forever. And then, you know, things start going awry. The The owner gets penny conscious. And, and then the guy's gone. So this season is a huge season for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I do think they're going to be the one or the two seed. Uh, I, I think if Giannis just, you know, improves a little bit, they're going to be up there. I still think they're one of the five best teams in the league just because he's so great. And they've got some trades to make. Like, 
you could see them uh, assuming what goes on with Toronto, right? Which way they go. If they decide to blow it up a little bit uh, and look to trade Marcus Gasol and Kyle Lowry, like they could be a Kyle Lowry destination maybe. Um, I, I would like to see them play their young guys like Dante DiVincenzo and Pat Connaughton as opposed to like Wesley Matthews and stuff. So, yeah, they're interesting, um, and and I hear what you're saying. Uh, I just think Philly's a lot better than them, and, and you know, Milwaukee's goal is to get to the finals, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to get there. So which... I, do, I do agree that they're probably going to be the two seed. I just don't think that it's a one and two race for the one seed. I think it's Philly's to lose by a mile, and then Milwaukee is the two seed. But I don't think that they're really in the same category as the 76ers, and I don't think that they're a top five team in the league um, anymore. Interesting. Uh, I know last year their defense was, they were like number one in defense and scoring, which you don't normally see. And I don't think that they're going to be able to sustain that this year again. Uh, you may you may be right. I mean, Brogdon was a big loss. So for me, that team is is the Orlando Magic, right? I I listen to Zach Lowe. I listen to a lot of guys talk basketball, and they were talking about like the Orlando Magic being like a top four seed this year based on the end of last season and their defense. Like, I'm sorry, they have all these forward power forwards and centers. Um, I I do like Aaron Gordon. Uh, I like Jonathan Isaac. But they don't have any point guards. And, like, Markel Fultz, like, like what is he really? I know he showed a couple of flashes last night, but I just can't see them scoring. Like, are the Orlando Magic really a lock for the playoffs? Like, I just don't see it. I just don't see a team with Nikola Vucevic being your best player being a lock for the for the playoffs. I, I just don't see it, especially without a point guard, a competent point guard. So uh, I would agree with you. I think there are a lot of teams that kind of have a similar outlook in Orlando Magic. The Magic um, don't have a number one player. They don't have um, a team who really looks at who you look at on a given night and say they're going to beat you from three or they're going to beat you defensively. So I think nowadays, unless you have a team who can really beat you defensively or beat you um, with the three ball, I don't think you can kind of say that any team is really going to be better than one unless they have one of those mega superstars. Yeah. Or the Magics don't have that. No, they don't have that. I mean, their defense statistically last year was like a defense, at least at the end of the year, last month, month and a half of the season, was a defense that you can win games on, and that's, you know, what they did. But I, I just don't – not sure that could sustain itself. I just don't think they right. can score enough. And the other team to me, oh, sorry, go ahead. I think, I think actually on that end, uh, I don't agree with you on that. I think they have a lot of guys who can put up numbers. I think they have a lot of guys who can put up empty calorie, calorie numbers and get you to the playoffs in the East. Um, In the West, no, they can't do that. I mean, you got a guy like Terrence Ross, that guy can go off on you any given night. And last year he was actually pretty uh, consistent Um, and he was actually very good last year. So you have a guy like that who can go off any night. I think Aaron Gordon is a very good player. And I like Aaron Gordon those, too. They have some of those bigs who, I mean, it's yet to be determined <laughs> what they're going to be. Can Jonathan Isaacs um, and Mo Bamba really do anything? 
um, yet to be determined, and we'll have to see that. But I think because they have a lot of those dudes who just can go and get a bucket on any given night where you're playing against a team who might not be really kind of playing defense as hard as possible, that's why I think they can sneak into the playoffs. But in the playoffs, I think they're an easy out because they just have these dudes who go off against other teams who aren't playing so hard. The other team to me is the Nets. Like, I know this was a two-year project with their offseason, and I stand, I still think they had a great offseason. But for this season alone, I don't see them being much better than they were last year. They won 42 games last year. I don't see them winning much more than that this year. I mean, and and I don't know if you saw the highlights from last night. Obviously, Kyrie Irving had a crazy impressive game. I mean, 50 points, seven re- eight, eight rebounds, seven assists, no turnovers. But they lost to a bad Minnesota Timberwolves team at home in overtime. And yet the Yes Network and Twitter celebrated it like the Nets won a, won a championship, which I just thought was embarrassing. I'm just down on the Nets. So which team in the East do you think is kind of getting slept on a little bit? So a team to be slept on... Um... I think in the East, the team that might be getting a little slip on is Toronto. Uh, after watching them the other night, mm-hmm. Toronto and Boston are the two teams I think people are sleeping on. Um, Toronto looked great the other night. And they were playing against, I mean, me personally, I think a pretty good um, team. I think uh, Pelicans are better than what people expect them to be. Um, but They're, they're going to be frisky. I mean, Siakam looked great. You're not going to get that from Fred Van on a nightly basis, but I think with some players taking a little bit a uh, step up on that team, I think they're a sleeper team to um, obviously make some sort of run, not a title run. And look at this team. It's not much different than when they had DeRozan, and they were one of, I guess they were the number one seed when they had DeRozan. Um and I don't think that year DeRozan is any better than what Siakam is currently. Interesting. So uh, with them, it, it's just a matter of which way they decide to go, right? Does Masai decide that, you know, obviously they just paid Siakam, but does, does Masai say, oh, we're just going to blow it up and start fresh around Siakam? Or does they continue going on the same path, especially with uh, with Kyle Lowry, if they decide to trade him or not? <laughs> Excuse me. So I, mean, I just think if you're like a five seed at the tra- at the deadline, and they look like they're playing well together, it's it's tough to sell a franchise on. We're just completely blowing it up. But I do agree, long term, it probably would be the better move to blow it up because they should be building or at least start attempting to assemble blocks around Siakam to attract um, other people. But I think that they're going to be a pretty. Um, I think. I can see them being five seed. I, I don't I don't hate that prediction, but if they want to blow it up, if Masayo Jerry wants to blow it up there, they won a title last year, so they can uh they have a lot of uh he's got a lot of equity there that that they won't kill him for that. To me, my team is Detroit. Um 
Blake Griffin was awesome last year, and I know he's he missed le- uh, the first game. He's got a little bit of a knee issue, but if he the first can... game, he's out for like a month. I just I drafted him, and then they ah. all of a sudden said he's out for a month the day after I drafted. Him. Well, well, that's a problem. Um, I didn't see that. That's a problem. But if he's if he's good for sixty five games, and he does what he did last year, and they got like. Like, Derek Rose was a sneaky good pickup. I mean, they just, uh, like, Andre Drummond's in a contract year. I know people were predicting them to miss the playoffs. Like, I think they're more of a lock of a playoff team than, I mean, assuming Griffin's health, obviously, this uh, recent news just changed the outlook a little bit. But I think with Griffin playing 65 healthy games, they're more of a lock for the playoffs than Orlando. Blake Griffin was all-NBA third team last year, and deservingly so. Uh, so I do agree with you on that. I think um, in the East, they definitely, um, I guess with Griffin, Drummond, um, Rose, and I think they have some other guys. Um, it's yet to see what, what's his name, uh, what Reggie Jackson might do this year. You never know what you're going to get from that guy. Well, um, I'm, not too, get, I'm not too high on him. If they can trade him, if they can trade him, or if they get a productive year out of him, I think that... Um, that would be good for them, but um, I I agree with you. I think with Griffin and Drummond, you saw Drummond last night. He was an absolute monster. Um, I think he went for like 32 and 18 or so. Yeah, 30, um, a 30 and 20 game. 30 and 20. So, um, I mean, he's a monster. When Griffin's there with him being able to stretch the floor right now, um, he's also a monster. And Derek Rose, this year that he had last year, in the East, that definitely gets you in the playoffs. Um I do think that they're going to make the playoffs, and I think that they could potentially, unlike you, you think Orlando, I think the Nets might be the one, the odd one out on that. Interesting. That would be that would be very, very funny if the Nets, at, with all the hoopla, didn't make the playoffs. So, okay, so let, let's transition. Um, who's your, um, who are your eight playoff teams in the East, if you had to pick them right now? So... Going obviously, Sixers. Now we're going with the Bucks, the Heat. I think the Pacers ultimately will make the playoffs. Um, then I think I do think Orlando sneaks into the playoffs. I Boston. That's six. What is that? That's six. That's six. I think Toronto. Seven. And then I guess the last one. I'm going to go with. Did I say Orlando? Or yeah, you said Orlando. So which should I I say? Uh, I'm assuming you're going to pick between the Nets and the Pistons. Okay, so now I'm going to go with the Pistons. Interesting. So the Nets fall out. Okay. I I think the Nets overachieved last year a lot because of the coaching, and they got their players to play really, really hard night in, night out. And I think this year you might not get that effort. And I think because the East has gotten better and Kyrie is not that much better than D'Angelo Russell, I see them having a worse year than they did last year just because of the talent in the East and them not necessarily playing up to how they were playing last year. Spicy. I love it. Okay. Um, I'm not 100% with you there, but I, I love it as a, as a Knicks fan. Um, my eight are Philly, Milwaukee, Miami, Boston, Toronto, uh, Indiana, 
Detroit, and the Nets. I, I think Orlando falls out. Um, just uh, quickly, uh, so uh, before we go, we want to just do uh, the awards for the year. So who's your uh, defensive player of the year, if you had to pick? Who do you think is going to win it? I would love for Drew Holiday to win it this year, but I do think the story this year line could be with uh, Draymond Green. Um, it can really show how good of a defender he is this year if he's able to keep up what, he does, what he's done the past couple of years. And they can really point to it and say, Iguodala's not on the team, Clay isn't on the team, Durant isn't on the team. Those are all plus defenders. Even Livingston, my own team, all plus defenders. And this year is going to be where Draymond can say, I'm the best defender in the league. Interesting. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Joel Embiid. I think this is the year Joel Embiid gets it. Um, I, I just think he he's he's a monster. Coach of the year, who you got? Oh, nice. Um, I've got. Hmm. I, I I've got. Uh, I I think Doc Rivers. Uh, I think if uh, if the Clippers are going to be the best team in the West, uh, I think Doc Rivers is going to win it. Uh, rookie of the year. Who's your rookie of the year? <sighs> Rookie of the year. This one's tough with the Zion news because if it tough with that, um, I'm gonna stick with the hometown Knicks. RJ. Interesting. RJ uh, Barrett. I've got uh, I've got Ja Morant. Um, most improved. Most improved player. Um, I I'm gonna go with Dejounte Murray. I think a lot of people love, love storylines again. And with him not playing last year, I think he's going to be great this year. Uh, he's a guy who plays um, defense and offense. And I think if he can sustain his offensive ability, you know, he's going to bring it on the defensive end. I think he could potentially uh, be that person who um, is the dark horse for the most improved. So I like him as comeback player of the year because he didn't play. And I like DeJounte Murray. My most improved uh, player pick this year is Lonzo Ball. And lastly, who's your MVP? MVP, I'm going to have to go with shout out for my fantasy team with my guy, Steph Curry. Oh, we're, we're in line here. Be, we're in line um, here. I think he's going to be an absolute monster this year. And I think you're going to see how much better he is than James Harden. Um, I know James Harden put up all his crazy stats and all of that. When he was shooting that much, if Steph is going to be taking that many shots, I think Steph is going to uh, has, has the potential to blow Harden's um, numbers out of the water. Oh, my God. Love it because I, uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. All right, Josh, uh, this was absolutely wonderful. Before we go, um, a quick two minutes on the on the New York Knicks. Uh, what are your thoughts on the on the New York Knicks? We got We got to talk about them for for two minutes because we're Knicks fans and the people want to know. Uh, I mean, they're, they're the New York Knicks. I was reading an article in Sports Illustrated of someone, and he quotes, "When are we ever going to see them put a lineup of Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle, Marcus Morris, um, who are the other two bigs that they have?" Uh, Marcus Morris, oh, um, Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, and Taj Gibson. When is that lineup going to come out um, and <laughs> be the, the five on the floor? Embarrassing. That's going to sum. That's going to sum up the Knicks in a nutshell. They have a complete logjam at almost every position of people who aren't really even that good. 
besides for I do think Julius Randle is a is a very is a good player. Um, I do believe in RJ, but besides for that, I think uh, the Knicks are in trouble. I don't know if Knox is kind of where we, or at least Knicks fans hope he's going to be. Um, I do like Mitchell Robinson, but I think we're in trouble. So three things on the Knicks. One, they're like the dumbest organization in the league. I mean, the fact that they know where the league is going in terms of like playing a little bit smaller, but yet they started opening night. And I know Mitchell Robinson was hurt, but they are starting Marcus Morris at the three. Like Marcus Morris has been a power forward his entire career. Like what are we doing here? I mean, the whole point of drafting Kevin Knox 9 is to see what he has on an improve on a young, you know, team that is going to take its lumps. Like this season should be about three people. Kevin Knox, RJ Barrett, and Mitchell Robinson. Julius Randle, eh, maybe I think he's an empty calorie stats guy. Some people disagree, fine. But like those three guys, you have to see what they're all about. So to play that lineup is literally the dumbest lineup of all time. I mean, they can't trade Marcus Morris and Taj Gibson and even Bobby Portis fast enough. That's number one. Two, R.J. Barrett looks okay. Um, Three is the fact that Dennis Smith Jr. couldn't win the starting job. And he was like the crown jewel of the Porzingis trade. By the way, Porzingis looks awesome. Just a a nice kick in the dick for Knicks fans um, because that was a debacle. Uh, like, why aren't we giving Frank the minutes? I, at least I know Frank has one elite skill, and that's playing defense. The other guys don't have any elite skills. But anyway, we're running long on time. The Knicks are an absolute lock to go under 27 and a half wins this year. I don't even think it's close. They stink. Joshua, thank you so much for filling in on short notice. This was fantastic. You really showed your versatility. Good stuff as always. And uh, I'll speak to you soon, buddy. Thanks so much. Have a good one. All right, bye. All right. uh, Thanks again to my brother, Josh. Uh, Fantastic uh, filling in on short, short notice, showing his versatility. Always a pleasure to talk to him, obviously, uh, for many reasons, as you could probably figure it out. But he really uh, stepped up big tonight. It was a huge, huge help. That's episode 61 for the love of the game. Take us out, K1. What a fire episode. Let's go. I am hungry and fat. My stomach's touching my back. Anybody in my way getting ran off the track. This is real as it gets, and they don't like me for that. But it's funny, other rappers, they won't bite me for that. But I ain't mad, because honestly, to tell you the truth, if my name is not K, I'll bite off K1 too. I'm an honest dude. Ladies love that dude. Wanna touch that dude. Wanna hug that dude. Who could crush that dude? Mm, not you. Nah, not you. Can't be you. Damn, I'm real. This is crazy, huh? Remember back when they said I wouldn't make me nuts? But now look, it's my cash and they could break me from. BAM, KDH, try and hate me, son. Yep. Now I don't care what they say. I'm hot, I'm hot. And they don't really wanna play. I'm hot, I'm hot. They better get up out my way today, cause I am hot, I'm hot, homie, I'm hot, I'm hot. Now I don't care what they say. I'm hot, I'm hot. And they don't really wanna play. I'm hot, I'm hot. They better get up out my way today, cause I am hot, I'm hot, you know?
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.